Uh, you may be seated. Uh, this is a historic weekend in the life of our church, and each one of our worship times, we have begun it with the, the lighting. This is our fourth worship time of the weekend, one of our now one more candles. Uh, if you are new, you are here on a good weekend, whether you're watching online, you're at True Worth, you're in the sanctuary, uh, this actually is a historical time in the life of our church family. And we kind of come to a very uh, critical moment. And so if this is your church home, you will notice that uh, we last weekend we gave you pledge cards. Uh, if you forgot yours, there's one there in the chair in front of you. You have plenty of time uh, to take care of. If you forgot yours, you want to do something. If you're ready, great. If you're not, remember, I asked you to take a pass on it. Uh, but if you are new here, you came at a good time, uh, just kind of listen and kind of learn. And you'll discover some things about us and see where God has taken us into the future and we hope you'll be blessed by, by the entire experience. Uh, I, I'm going to pause here for a second. And uh, we're going to have a prayer before I even actually open the word. And uh, God, we're about to open your word and again re-catch and understand the vision you've placed before us. Uh, there are some here who come this morning who find themselves all over the map in life. Uh, they have no vision. They have no direction. Uh, there's some, God, they're not even sure if you're real. Uh, there's some here, God, who are still hurting. They are reeling. I mean, they've been knocked off their keister by life, and, and they question God. Are you good? Are you even here, God? Because of the things that have happened in life, they're needing some reassurance. Uh, there are some here, God, who have been wrestling for the past six weeks. This is their church home, and they've been wrestling, uh, not sure what their role is, and they just need a little nudge or assurance or touch. God, we come from all different sorts of places. There's even some people here who are not even sure if they believe in you. And I pray, God, that every one of us, uh, regardless of where we are, will experience your presence this morning and the touch of your Holy Spirit upon our life uh, for just what we need. We know you can, and we ask you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just so you're aware, uh, this is the weekend, and top of each one of these little letters on both sides, there's a hole there. At the appropriate time, you'll be invited to come forward and to put your envelopes in, in that hole. If you're in the sanctuary, you'll see the altar table there uh, in the sanctuary. This is kind of clear with the Bible there and the candle. You'll go forward and lay yours there on the table uh, there if you're at True Worth. Uh, they're going to have baskets. I'm not sure exactly what the plan is. They may repass the baskets, but you're going to have an equal chance at the end after the message. And if you're watching online, uh, you can go to uh, pathway slash now uh, um, or pathway slash now. Just, just go to pathway and figure it out, okay? I'm not good at all this technology stuff. Or, or just call me and I'll help you this week. But we want to make sure you have a chance to participate as well, however God would lead you. Um, here's the vision for a reminder for all of us. Clarity, here's the vision we think God is leading us to. Here it is right here. A thousand, million and one aha moments. An aha moment is someone, because of how they experience you or this church, they go, oh, oh the love of God. Wow, I never, that's more than what I thought. And I want to step forward to have a relationship with God. And we think the biggest way to start that is by reclaiming this ark uh, for the purpose for which God created it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, here this morning. We think it's going to call, that means a thousand seat worship center uh, directly behind me. If you're in the ark, it's right behind me. And then six and a half to seven and a half million dollar three year pledge commitment, three year thing, which we're about to do 
with, and it's all about the one more. It's all about just this one more. Um, very simple, one verse this morning, I think that kind of sums this whole six weeks up. Um, I'm hoping this will mean something to you. It's just a simple verse. It's from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We'll put it on the screen, uh, but here's how it reads. Uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, okay, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and you are on this rock. On this rock, I will build my church. And it says, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it, not stand against it, will not prevail. You put it however you want to. But the bottom line is, Jesus says, I am building my church. Now, when I was an early teenager, and I heard this verse, Jesus says, I'm building my church. Uh, I'm going to say, well, you know what? If, if Jesus is building the church, then maybe Jesus needs to get fired. Uh, because most of the churches I experienced young growing up uh, were kind of powerless, kind of lifeless, uh, kind of loveless. I thought in some way perhaps the church was kind of hopeless. And some of the experiences that I had, maybe that was not you, but it was mine kind of dead, just a religious exercise people go to. I recall when I was in the seventh grade, coming home from church with my best friend, going to his house with his family, mom and dad in the front, and the husband says to his wife, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to invite John to come to church with us next week. Uh, you know, his wife, uh, breast cancer, syrup, man, he, he shook up, not even sure if he believes in God. I, I think I, maybe this is a good time to ask him. And she says, uh, honey, don't do it. Just don't do it. I mean, whatever spark that's been ignited in him about God, about faith, because of what his wife is going through, our church would extinguish it in 60 seconds. And I'm sitting in the back seat, and I'm thinking, ah, that's probably true. Uh, he'd probably be further away from God when he leaves than when he came. Uh, it was just kind of, mm. uh, you know, some of you know this, some of you don't. Uh, uh, when I was in the eighth grade, eighth grade, we moved to Wichita Falls. And I was like, I'm preparing this little church that meant a lot to me. But finally, at the age of 16, this little church, I was messed up by God's grace. I mean, just really messed me up. And some of you have heard part of this story. If you have, just forgive it for those that catch up, for those that are new. I mean, I really got messed up by God's grace. And I was on fire for God in my life. Uh, so much so that the Wesley Foundation which at that time was a college ministry of the United Methodist Church where college kids could come and hang out. They asked me to come and speak. And I said, well, that's not going to work. I'm 16. They're in college. And they said, no, we really want you to come speak. So I came and I spoke and they invited me back and it was, just, it was kind of a cool deal. Now, this is in 1971. And 1971 is the end of the hippie era, right? And so this is when uh, it was all about Paisley shirts, and pot, you think pot is popular now? Off the chain, popular. And VW vans with a peace symbol on the front, right? Well, you could get 15 to 20 people in an eight-passenger van, and they did it. And they just come pouring out. And I remember those little vans pulling up there, all these hippies coming out, and God just moved in an incredible way. I will never forget it. Uh, there were these uh, long-haired, grungy, uh, pot-induced, uh, tie-dyed shirt hippies uh, giving their life to Jesus. And they were serious about it. And they were walking away from the pot. They were walking away from living four or five or six people together and just trading partners in the same living places. 
And they were getting serious about their school and getting their life on track. It was really an incredible experience. And the church next door uh, that I was a part of sponsored the Wesley Foundation in part by giving some money uh, to supplement the, the pastor's salary there, the director. And they shut the activity we were doing down. They said, you can't do that anymore. And the bottom line was this. Uh, they just felt like we were not doing Methodist orthodoxy. And my thought was, if this is the church that Jesus is building, this little church that just shut, if this is the church, I'm wondering if Jesus shouldn't get fired. Six years later, same little church. Some of you know this. I actually am working my way through college. I wind up on staff of the same little church. I'm youth pastor. I want an associate pastor. So I had many jobs trying to get through college, just trying to pay the bills. But this was one of them. And so one particular Sunday morning, the senior pastor was so ill he could not speak. Called the associate pastor. Associate pastor's out of town. So the wife calls me, youth pastor. Uh, green, behind the ears, really not accomplished in speaking to church bodies or whatever. And she says, uh, listen, we re he really needs you to cover this morning. I said, church starts in two hours. I know. <laughs> and, and we had two worship times. So I said, okay, we'll give it a shot. I'll do my best. So I showed up and had a little verse and talked a little bit about it. <laughs> and some people came to join the church and two people wanted to get baptized, two students. It was really a pretty neat deal. And yet there's the very same week where that pastor of that church pulled me aside. He said, Rick, two things. Uh, number one, uh, you're never preaching in this church again. Uh, secondly, you need to do something else besides the ministry. You, this, this is not going to work out for you or us. You just need to find something else. And he said some other things too. But I'm just thinking, if this is the church that Jesus is building, I'm not sure I really even want to be a part of it. Anybody in your head, I mean, I mean, just had any of those kind of experiences in your life when it comes to church. And so as a result, it wasn't too long after that, Dallas and I get married, and uh, we eventually move uh, from Wichita Falls to Odessa. And I'm kind of leaving the church. I'm kind of leaving faith. In fact, I will tell you, there was a time in my young life, I was kind of secretly planning that when I became an adult, I would stay connected to the church just enough to make sure I got into heaven. Anybody have that same plan today? <laughs> or you know what I'm talking about? Just enough to get into heaven. And so we go to Odessa, good in the old business, and I'm going to get wealthy, right? Because when you move to Odessa and the old, you get wealthy. Not. <laughs> it didn't happen. Uh, eventually, we wound up at this little Cumberland Presbyterian church, just small little church. And there was a pastor there who was kind of a country bumpkin sort of pastor, really. His name was Vernon. Vernon Burrow. And I'll never forget Vernon eventually coming to me and saying, hey, listen, Rick, I'm going to have this class called Bethel Bible. And I want to train you to teach Bethel Bible in this little church. Would you be open to doing that? And it was a two-year commitment. Uh, it was kind of like an introdu introductory seminary course where you had homework, you had to memorize stuff, you had actually had tests, you had exams. And I thought, okay, that kind of captured my attention. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll try that. And I will tell you, uh, that was a powerful experience in my life. It really inspired me. And especially when Vernon got to the part of the New Testament when he started talking about the church in Acts chapter 2. And he said, students, uh, do you realize there once was a church 
where everybody was really fully devoted to Jesus. They were so devoted to Jesus, they actually did what he said to do. If he said, step out on the limb of faith, they stepped out onto the limb of faith. If he said, stop doing that, it's going to cause problems for you and other people. They actually stopped doing stuff. They're actually, what was a church? They were so devoted to each other, they started calling each other brother and sister. <laughs> and they didn't just love each other. They loved people from all over. I mean, they just loved people. And they crossed over all socioeconomic lines, racial lines, gender lines, faith lines. They just really loved people. And, and they, they loved each other so much, they, they would meet together often in each other's homes. And they would break bread with glad and sincere hearts in their homes. And they just got real with each other. They took off the mask. They didn't have any games, religious stuff. They actually were committed to walking with each other through real life together. And they prayed together. I mean, they, polled, they prayed bold prayers, believing the transcendent God would answer their prayers. And God answered their prayers. And so much so, these leaders of the church performed signs and wonders in the church. It was amazing. Miracles were happening. People's lives were being changed. And you talk about sacrificial generosity. There were some people in this little church, they actually sold their home. Gave all the proceeds from the sale of their house to the church to take care of a bunch of other people. Amazing. And boy, could they worship. And when they worshiped, the, the place just was like on fire. It was, a, it was a, just an ecstatic energy in the place because they worshiped God uh, freely and liberally. And they were so bold in talking about their faith in Jesus. Even at the risk of being killed, they did it. And, and they, they managed the church with such integrity and honor and such just kind of good practices that people on the outside went, whoa, we want to know what's going on on the inside. So much so, over here in Acts 42, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily one more, one more, one more, one more who were being saved. And Vernon was teaching this little class to us, and man, he would just get on this riff. He was so pumped up, and he was like, hey, listen, students, 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 I got to ask you a question. Uh, do you believe that God is still transcendently all-powerful? We go, oh, yeah, we believe that, we believe that. Do you believe that Jesus is still restoring and redeeming lives. Do you believe that? We go, yeah, 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 we believe that. Do you believe the Holy Spirit is still doing miracle stuff? You know, just miracle stuff. 
<laughs> that just changes people. Do you believe that? Oh, yeah, we believe that too. Do you believe the Bible is still like a two-edged sword that can pierce the heart and penetrate the heart and change a person's life? Do you believe that? And we said, yeah, we believe that. Then he asked another question. He said, do you believe that Jesus is still building his church? And I said, I think so. He said, no, he is. He really is. Jesus is building his church. And then without breathing, he just asked two other questions. And here's what I got to know. Why don't we have more churches like this in our culture, in our town, in our day right now? Why don't we? And without even skipping a beat, he just looked at all of us in that little classroom, and he said, and I want to know, why don't more of you, at least one of you, stop all the plans that you have for your life and try to build one of these suckers right here and now? And he stopped and just looked at me. It felt like, like he was piercing. I know like some of you say, Pastor, you're looking right at me the whole time, and I'm not. He felt like I, I thought he was looking right through me. I went, oh. He's talking to me. I remember going home after some of those classes, driving home, uh, just fighting the emotions within me, just, <laughs> just fighting, wrestling to my soul. Uh, I thought I'd left all that behind. And Vernon painted a picture in my mind of what the church could become. And the Holy Spirit started working within me. And the Holy Spirit kind of caused me to catch on to an Acts 2 church vision. Let me stop here for a second. I want to talk about vision for a moment. Some of you don't even know what vision is. Vision is a very powerful thing. Uh, vision produces passion in people. It puts a picture in their head that produces a passion. That they'll do whatever it takes to accomplish the vision. Vernon painted a picture, a vision in my head of what the church could become. It aroused these passions that I thought were gone. See, when, when, when you get seized by a vision, uh, you realize I can't stay here. Here is not okay because I've seen there here is not acceptable. What I'm experiencing now is not okay. I've got to go there. I've seen there. Vision is something that propels people to go forward who have just accepted the status quo. But all of a sudden they go, status quo is not okay. Vision is what inspires people to do crazy things. To have joy-filled experiences of sacrificial generosity <laughs> that will leave a legacy for generations to come. Vision. Uh, people sometimes will give their whole life to a single vision. I know of people who actually would be willing to die for a vision. They've been seized by a vision. I wonder of you, have you ever been seized 
by a vision. The Bible says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. You wonder some of you why your marriage is in trouble? You have no vision for your marriage. A vision so powerful, you'll do whatever it takes to reconcile and to make it right. You have no vision for your company, for your organization that you lead. You have no vision for your kid of who they can become. And where there is no vision, the organization, the people, they perish. It doesn't mean you just die. That's not what it means. Here's what it means. It means just very slowly, you kind of die a slow death. You just kind of accept the status quo. You just kind of fade into mediocrity. You just kind of shrink into just kind of accept the way things are. And you just kind of live a life kind of ho-hum. But when you get seized by a vision, and I did, I got seized by a vision of what the church could become. And it's amazing how this little church, uh, I was at in the oil patch, I lost my job. Because if you're ever in the oil business, you will be without a job at some point in your journey. <laughs> Been there, done that. And so they hired me to be a youth pastor. And for two years, for two years, that little church, I want you to know, I saw the supernatural power of God do amazing things because I started, we're going to try to practice those principles of Acts chapter 2 in the church and see what happens. And that little youth group of eight exploded to over 200 just like that. It was amazing. Sometimes the youth group on Sunday nights was greater than worship attendance on Sunday morning. It was incredible. And these students were so sold out, devoted to Jesus. And they so wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would teach them. I'd say, listen, this is what the Acts 2 church, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, uh, Rick, why can't we be filled with the Holy Spirit? We don't want to leave here until we have the Holy Spirit. So we would stop and have these prayer sessions. If you were here last weekend and you were a part of the 24-hour prayer walk, you were a part of the Holy Spirit experience when you stop and just be in the presence of God for extended periods of time. And so we would stop and do that, and I would pray, okay, Holy Spirit, fill us with your power. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your, with your love. Fill us with your power. God, give us a capacity to love people who are just unlovable. And we would pray like that. And, man, those kids would leave changed. I mean, actually believing the truth of what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit, how it can change people's lives. I, I taught those kids about their spiritual gifts. I said, you've got to discover your spiritual gifts. God has given you gifts, and it's your responsibility to use those gifts. I taught them to have real community. I'm not talking about just coming together with a bunch of teenagers and having fun. Hey, I believe in having fun. I love having fun. But I'm talking about a community of people who come together, and they make a commitment. Hey, I'm going to be real with you. You be real with me because we all got junk. Would you agree with me? We all have junk. We got stuff. I'm going to make a commitment that you can be real with me, I'm going to be real with you. And we're going to walk together through this life, all of our stuff, and uh, I'm not going to quit on you when life happens. You don't quit on me, I won't quit on you. And they started doing that. And the love they had for each other 
It was amazing. And it was just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I taught them, hey, listen, hey, you got to manage conflict the way Jesus teaches it. You got to figure this out young, when you're young. And I just taught them Matthew chapter 18, what the Bible says about managing conflict. And I said, because wherever two people get together, there will be conflict. Whenever two people get married, before the honeymoon is over, there will be conflict. You get two people in the same room. And I said, sometimes, according to what the Bible teaches, you just got to get up and go to somebody and say, I am sorry. Read my lips. I am sorry. I was a jerk. Especially in marriage. Especially being a parent. A brother or a sister. And sometimes they're not going to say it. You got to get up even when you were in the right and go say, hey, listen, can we work this out? Can we reconcile? Can we make this good? Because that's what the Bible teaches. We just didn't talk about it. Sometimes I would even say, okay, let's stop right now. We're not gonna, I'm not going to teach anymore. We're going to practice what the Bible says. If you have a conflict with anybody in the room, you get up and go apologize and make it right right now. Kids started getting up and going across and going, hey, you know what? I, I'm sorry. I messed. I shouldn't have done that. That was not. I mean, they were, one kid got up and called his mom on the phone and said, Mom, I know when I left the house, I blah, 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 blah. Fifteen-year-olds doing stuff like that. Uh, they would even come up to me and say, you know what, Rick? Uh, I got a problem with you, man. <laughs> I'd say, okay, spill it. Let's talk about it and work it out right there. But the, here's the point. They just didn't talk about being the church. They practiced it. And it just was exploding in growth. The church. And we made this covenant relationship. And here was the, here was the covenant promise. I was going to fast and pray that at a point in the future, a certain date, that I would have a 15, 20-minute message that would inspire their kids who are far from God, their friends, and they were going to fast and pray to learn how to invite their friends who didn't believe in God in church to invite them to come to you. And we made this covenant. For several weeks, they fasted and prayed, and I fasted and prayed until the big thing came. And they did their job. I mean, that place was packed with students. I mean, all over Odessa, uh, you, had the, you had the Broncos, you had the Mojos, you had all of them coming from all, just no lines. All showed up at this little church. And I walked in there and went, oh, I didn't expect so many people. And I'm kind of going, oh, I hope I'm prepared enough. And so I said, okay, students, uh, I just want to say this to you. I had the Bible. Here's my, uh, the Bible is very clear. God loves you. The real God who created everything, uh, he loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's irreversible. <laughs> it's radical. <laughs> and, and he loves you so much, he wants to be in a relationship with you. And a relationship is a two-way street. It's not just one way. Where one person does all the receiving and one person does all the giving, it's back and forth. It's a relationship. And so he sent his son Jesus into the world to pave a way so you could be in a real relationship with God every single day of your life. 
And when you're in a relationship with God every single day of your life, you can feel God's power in your life. You can feel God's presence. You can feel God's love. And not only that, you will get God's wisdom so you don't do some of that stupid stuff you're doing as a teenager. You'll go, hey, maybe I should stop that stuff. And so, I just did about 15 minutes. I preached a lot shorter back then. I know some of you wish it was back then right now. I know that. I preached a lot. I was about 15 minutes. I said, okay, now I've got to ask something. Here's the time. Hey, if you would like to begin a new life, leave your old life, and you would like to experience a brand new life, I tell you, it's a better life, a relationship with God through Jesus, I want you to stand up. About 50 kids stand up. I, I blew my mind. I panicked, and I said, sit back down. I was only expecting a few. I wasn't prepared for that many. I, I didn't know what to do. And I actually thought I said the wrong thing. I thought I had said, uh, hey, if you're a believer in Jesus already, stand up. And so I told him to sit back down. And I heard him say, I thought we were coming to God. This guy didn't know what he's doing. He had to sit back down. I said, that's why we don't have altar calls around here. I'm insecure. I was scarred by that experience. You know, I just, I just totally messed it up. I mean, totally messed it up. So I said, let me clarify. Let me clarify. Here's what I... If, if <laughs> you want to leave your old way of living and begin a new way of living in a relationship with the love of God, I want you to stand up. Even more stood up. And I went, you got to be kidding me, God. Me and the other youth sponsors, we were there to almost midnight talking with each kid. Praying with each kid, writing their name down, getting to know them, whatever. Uh, it was almost midnight before I left. And when you're the youth pastor, you're the lowest person on the totem pole. You lock up and turn everything out you, before you leave. And so that was me. And so everybody had gone. And I just kind of sat down there on the floor before I went home and said, okay, God, that was something. I didn't see that coming. And I said, I tell you what, God, I'll make a deal with you. If you'll keep doing that, I'll keep doing this. And God said, Rick, you got it backwards. I'm always doing that somewhere. The question is, are you going to keep doing this? Because I know what I'm doing. What are you doing? See, this thing that I do, it's not a job. It's not work at all. It's about a relationship. And God said, Rick, this is just what I need you to do as I'm building my church. And I thought, okay. And so I left that little church, and I said, I can't go to my grave without trying to replicate in a real church, in a big church, in a church, these principles. And so I left here, I, I left there, and I came to Burleson, Texas to go to seminary, and I landed this little place right here, two acres, just a few little people. And we started practicing the principles in this book of real church. And some of you walk onto this property, drive onto it, you, you don't even know what you, you don't know what this place means. You really don't. 
Uh, you drive up here and you see this room right here, for example. You drive on our campus, you see that little place right there. And you say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where the kids gather during worship right now. They're down there having their kid worship. Uh, that was the place for the fellowship hall. Yeah, yeah. Some of you even say, hey, that's, that's where the original place used to worship. Wasn't that the first worship place uh, some 47 years ago? But you see, I don't see that. When I first look at that, you know what I see? I see a little room that almost became our coffin because the church was on DNR and it was about dead. They were about to close the doors. And then we started practicing the principles in this book from Acts chapter 2. And this church got messed up by God's grace in such a way that God resurrected this church right from the edge of death. And people started driving and coming on this little two acres. It was unbelievable. And that we had a little Khaleesi parking lot. It couldn't handle all the cars. People started parking on the grass. And all of our guests are parking on the grass, and we would come out of worship and fired up for worship, but it had been raining going out there. So here in my suit and robe and dress, pushing all these vicious cars out of the mud because they're stuck in the mud. And we're going, this is not good. I said, we've got to have a real parking lot or this church is going to die. It's just going to die. But here we had a problem. The parking lot's going to cost $14,000. We had 14 cents, Maybe. Maybe. But we did have a converted Catholic CPA, and he was really good at floating money. I think it was legal. I'm not sure if it was legal. But we couldn't pay our bills. But somehow or another, they never closed us down. I'm just saying. And um, it's kind of, I'll just leave it at that. But, but he was really good at talking to people, creditors on the phone. And so I, we had no six-month campaign. We had no six-month. I just came before the body and said, listen, if we got $14,000, we got to build a parking lot. And if we don't do it, this church is done. And about 20, 25 families, hourly, hourly, uh, they just dug down. And lo and behold, $14,000. I'm like, oh, really, God? And then the church just started exploding. Two worship services, uh, standing room only, opened the back doors. People were standing out in the foyer looking in. I mean, it was, it was an Acts 2 church all over again, so much so we got to build another building. So you see this next facility right here, and you say, oh, yeah, that's the sanctuary. That's the next place where people worship, and people worship there on 815. When you look at that, that's what you see. But when I look at that, that's not what I see. What I see is. We couldn't afford that building. It was going to cost $400,000. It might as well cost $7.5 million. We are still in the red. We cannot pay our bills. We are behind. We went to a bank and said, would you give us a loan? They said, are you kidding? <laughs> no way. And well, what are we going to do? We got to have, we're going to die. We're growing, but we're going to die. And so we did something really kind of crazy. Uh, we decided we we're going to ask people to invest in us called church bonds. Here's what church bonds mean. You come take all of your savings. You invest it and buy bonds in us, and we're going to guarantee you, we're going to pay you back with interest. We couldn't even pay our bills. <laughs> I thought, nobody's going to do that. <laughs> Why would they? The bank won't. And I thought, we're going to open up all these bonds, and nobody's going to show up. And so we opened up the sale of the bonds. Over 200 people were standing in line. We didn't have enough bonds to meet the need of all the people that said, we believe that God is working and moving here. 
And so when you look at that sanctuary, you see just a building, but I see oh so much more. Oh so much more. And we moved in on Easter of 1990, and five families joined, and two wanted to be baptized. And grown men and women cried, because just three, four years later, the church, earlier, the church was almost closed down. So we had this great building. There was only one thing. We couldn't afford to pay anybody to clean it because <laughs> we had to pay back the bonds. And so we had no janitor. So you know what that meant? Everybody in the church had to sign up as a family to take a weekend to clean the church. So you're coming in on the weekend. Think right now, you coming in next Saturday or maybe even Monday to clean all the bathrooms of all the, you know what, of people who are far from God that are coming you're that's what I see I see sacrificial generosity and commitment and then all of a sudden that little worship time over there in that sanctuary went from one service at 11 to a second service at 8 then eventually we had a service in the middle three services back to back to back in the same little place and so 300 people would exit at 8 o'clock and 400 people would come in in the middle and then those people would leave and another folks would come out and it was just chaotic and it was a contemporary in between so you had traditional band bring their stuff in do traditional do, do contemporary band take their stuff out traditional come back in it was awful and it was wonderful because people would do anything. We had people who came to the early service who stayed and taught two Sunday schools back to back for over a year. So these people far from God who had kids who weren't ready to serve could come to worship. That's what I see. That's what I see. And when you look at this next facility right here, this next building, some of you look at, oh, I know that building. And when I drive on campus, I know what that is. Oh, that's the ark, right? Uh, that's the ark. Um, that's where we worship. Hey, that's where I come and walk in the middle of the week, right? That's where they have those events sometimes. And that's what you see when you see that. But when I look at the ark, uh, that's not what I see. What I see is a fight. I see one of the most awful fights I've ever seen in my life. I'm at Bartlett Park, the old Bartlett Park. Remember the old Bartlett Park where baseball used to be played in town before the Chisholm Park and everything like that? And Jacob and James, one is six and one is eight. I'm coaching both their teams, and I arrange the schedule. Coach one, have a break, coach the other. And so it's in between games, and there's a fight there at Bartlett Park. And this nine-year-old has jumped on this six, seven-year-old and just beating the bejeebers out of him. Has his head slamming. I'm looking around going, hey, somebody got to stop this. I'm looking around, nobody's stopping. I guess that's me. <laughs> and so I jumped over there, and I tried to get this nine-year-old. And this kid was small but feisty and powerful and angry and started hitting on me and cussing and yelling the kid on the ground. I mean, he could tell he was really hurt. And they come up to me and say, hey, hey, Coach Owen, uh, your game's about to start. Get on over here. And I'm going, I'm kind of busy right now, you know. I'm trying to survive. This kid's about to kill me here. And I'm I mean, he was wiry but strong, and I'm holding on. And I said, if you'll come take this situation, I'll come coach the game. And they said, okay. So some other adults come around, and I got a hold of it, and I went and coached the game. So when it's over, on the way home, uh, eight-year-old, six-year-old in the car, and what do you do, parents? Uh, you want to talk about the game all the way home, right? That's what I wanted to do. Uh, that's what you do with your kids. Hey, you relive every play, every little experience, so we're doing all that. And I'm trying to forget what happened, the fight. And God said, Rick, don't you dare forget. 
In fact, I want you to dwell on it and think about it so much. I want you to think about the heart of that nine-year-old kid. What would have a kid's heart so hurt, he would be so angry, so violent, so vicious that he would jump on a kid much smaller than him and almost crush his skull into the ground. Why would a kid do that? You do know hurt people hurt people. You do know that, don't you? People that are bullies have been bullied. And I just felt God saying, Rick, what are you, where's this kid going with his life? What do you think is going to be the outcome? Be? What are the possible trajectories or paths for his life? And I thought, well, okay, let me think about this. This kid could kind of get his act together. He could and be an honor student in middle school and high school and graduate from high school, all this stuff, go to college, the military or something, get out, uh, get a great job, get married, have the picket fence, go to heaven, have a great eternity. Or there's possibility of this kid will continue on the same path, fighting at school, knives and stuff, and maybe even get kicked out of school or drop out of school, uh, be angry at the world, uh, go from job to job to job, just trying barely to make ends meet, uh, maybe get involved with some bad people, crime here, crime there, in jail, out of jail, in jail, out of jail, get in prison, rot in the pit of hell. And I felt the Spirit of God say, well, which path do you think is most likely? And what power on planet Earth could move him from one path to the other? What do you think? So, okay, maybe the government would pass legislation that could change the composition of the kid's heart. See that? Probably not going to happen. Hey, hey, maybe, maybe he'll join some traveling sports club because he's so good as an athlete. Somebody will scholarship him, and he'll travel all over the United States playing and all these the AA, all these big sports, and, and that's going to change the composition of his heart. Uh, probably not. Or maybe someone will make sure he goes to college, and he will go to college. He'll take a very cool class, and he's going to take such a class that's going to change his heart. Or maybe some businessman or woman will create a product, and he'll buy the product and use the product, and it change his heart. And then the obvious answer just hit me right between the eyes. Here's the only hope, the only hope this kid has is that a serious follower of Jesus Christ who really loves God and loves people taps this young boy on the shoulder and says, hey, listen, man, I know you've been dealt a bad hand. And somebody really hurt you and messed you up bad. I know that. And it was wrong. But I want you to know there's a love in heaven that has your name on it. That can change the composition of your heart. And over time, that love can take away all the anger and all the hurt and all the seeking for revenge. So I just want to invite you to come down and go with me down here to my church. Because in my church, man, they just really love kids. <laughs> they just love people. Uh, they're just good at loving. If you will come, I think they'll accept you exactly the way you are. They're not going to try to change you on the outside because only God can change the inside. And they're going to accept you and love you. And over time, I think you'll experience healing in your life. Uh, would you come? And church, that just hit me as, as 
The love of God through Jesus Christ was the only hope that kid had to change his heart. Because I'm telling you, it's a heart issue in so many of us. It's the heart. And God has given the church the message of Jesus. That means the church who loves people like Jesus does is the only hope that kid and millions of other kids like him have. It's the hope of the world. And I will tell you, I went to my office that very next day, and I realized, you know what? This place called Glen St. Matthew, it's got to maximize its potential. That means everybody's got to discover their spiritual gifts. Leaders got to start leading. Shepherds got to start shepherding. Hospitality got to start welcoming. Uh, teachers got to start teaching. Uh, people who have the gift of giving, you got to start giving. Not just during a campaign. God has given you the gift of generosity. Give at all times, in all seasons. That's how God wired you. And I got convicted that the church had to have a place where students could come and be themselves and not be judged and not be condemned and to wrestle with their stuff and have enough time to figure it out that God loves them just the way they are. And that's why we got to reclaim this art, church. That brings us to today, of reclaiming this art for that very purpose. It's the hope of so many young people and families what happens in this space. And that means doing this right here. We reclaim the art. That means we have to do this. Because uh, we have to get us out of here and get us into there. So our students, 24-7, just during the week, we can, uh, it's the hope. It's the hope. Now, as some of you are going, I'm watching the time. Stick with me here. Uh, don't be bailing on me. Is that some of you are thinking, well, I'm not sure I still want to invest in the church. Why would, why would, I, why would I sacrifice and pour so much into our church? How do I know it's going to be here? That's a good question. Let me just say that's a good question. Uh, somebody tell me, where is the Ottoman Empire? Where are the Persians? Where is the Romans? Gone. Where's Blockbuster? <laughs> Texaco? Kodak, gone. So why would I feel comfortable in investing so much when all these big these empires and multi-billion organizations are gone? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said, I, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, said, I am building my church in the gates of hell will not stand against it because I'm building it to love people the way God loves people. And that church will last forever. So here's the final thing here. The most powerful privilege you will have in your life is for God to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I need you to do this to help me build my church. I need you to do this. That's the most powerful because the church is the hope of the world. It has the message of Jesus. It's the, it's the hope of the world. And so sometimes people will tell me, Rick, I'm so glad that you said yes when God tapped you on the shoulder. Sometimes people say that. You know what I'm glad? I'm glad that when Vernon Burrow was tapped on the shoulder, he said yes. Because if he hadn't said yes, I wouldn't be here today. And I'm glad those few students said yes. Because if they hadn't said yes, I might have given up on the principles of the church 
And I'm so glad the six families didn't quit some 47 years ago. They said yes. And I'm glad for 33 years that God has allowed me to do this. Of all the people who have said yes in so many different ways. And I want to say, pause here and say thank you to our students. Because what you need to know, our students and our children that are so on fire for God. And the strength of this church is our student and children's ministry. They're lighting it up. And they're bringing their friends that are so far from God. I just want to say thank you to our students and to our children. Uh, I'm, I'm in awe of crew. I really am. And to all the youth leaders who give their time to be up here during the week with these kids after full-time jobs, pouring their life into them. I just want to say thank you for saying for the tug, yes. And for all of you who serve here, who serve at the Welcome Center and the doors and give so generously, <laughs> thank you for your yes to God. For You have no idea what God is doing through you. So the elders and deacons who felt like God was saying, you've got to do this. You said, just go. It doesn't make sense. We're going to do it. Uh, I just want to say thank you to them and to this church staff that I get to work with. Uh, you have no idea the quality of people that are on your church staff. They didn't make a lot of money working out there in the world, <laughs> but they choose to be here because they believe that Jesus is building this church upon his life. God is using you to build his church. And it's the hope of the world. So if God has tapped you on the shoulder, A hundred years from now, a hundred years, they're going to be worshiping in this building over here. They're going to say, ha, I'm so grateful that a hundred years ago, on November 2019, a group of people felt God nudged them, and they came and made a commitment that there would always be enough love and grace in Pathway Church for one more. We're going to stand and sing build my life upon your love and bring your commitments as you are so led.
above every other name. Jesus. Jesus, a name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. And you're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Because we live for you. day we declare 
True Worth Online Sanctuary Ark, uh, that you are our God. Uh, we are your people, and we're building our life upon your love because you're building your church upon your love. <laughs> and so, God, I pray there's anyone here who has any doubt that they would leave with no doubt this morning of how much that you love them and you have a plan for their life, a vision for their life, and let them get seized by that vision, God. Just help them find the path uh, to secure it and just to experience it in every part of their being. So, God, we consecrate and dedicate these commitments to you uh, for your vision and for your purpose in the building of your church that there will always, always in our Pathway Church family be enough love and grace for one more. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Let's celebrate what God is doing.